So over the past few weeks, um, we've been going through a series that we've entitled Everyone Gets to Play. And in that series, we've explored a number of things, um, but mainly we've explored God's invitation uh, to all followers of Jesus to partner with him as he extends his kingdom throughout the earth. That's what Jesus talked about. If you go read through the book of Matthew, he's talking about the kingdom all the time. He came to usher in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is like this, like that, so on, so on. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom is what he spoke about all the time. And as Jesus ascended to heaven and he gave his spirit to the, his people, his followers, we are invited to extend that kingdom throughout the earth. God is doing it, but he wants us to partner with him in that. And so even though God can do all things by himself, He's not really content with that way of doing things. God is by nature a sharing being. He likes to share stuff. And so he wants to share the reconciling work of the gospel, the Jesus' death and resurrection, where he dies to take our sin upon himself and he rises to give us the promise of new life. He wants to share that message with us. He wants us to be the ones that extended throughout the earth, not just to extend the message, but to extend the consequences of the message throughout the earth. And that's what the kingdom of God is. When the kingdom of God comes, that means people are experiencing the consequences of the gospel. What are the consequences of the gospel? The, the oppressed are set free, the sick are healed, the blind receive sight, the broken are healed, relationships are reconciled. Humanity is no longer at war with God. God is reconciling himself to humanity. And God doesn't just, God can do that all by himself. But he chooses not to do it that way. He chooses to invite you and I into that. And this is where everybody gets to play. And so in the first week in the series, you can go back online onto our website and catch up if you like. Uh, Rachel, she came and she spoke about contributing to the discipleship, to the pilgrimage of others. Now, in the following weeks, we considered how all of us are called to some type of ministry, or what we do is, in fact, a ministry. We might serve here at church in a thing that's labeled a ministry, like a youth ministry, or you might be an architect, and your architecture is your ministry. It's your act of worship before the Lord, and how you do that is, is where the kingdom of God comes in. You might do it to just meet your own needs and be really selfish about it and make a bunch of money and so on, or you might do it, yes, to pay your bills, but at the same time, you want to be a blessing to all your workmates. You want to be salt and light in your workplace. And so how you do your work, you try to do it in a way that pleases God. And that becomes a message, a way of outreach and a, a, an act of worship in and of itself. And we considered following that, how, you know, being willing to be used by God, being willing to say your radical yes to God is really the key to being equipped to do what God wants you to do and how God in, in the end, it takes it upon himself to empower us to do this work by giving us his Holy Spirit. All very good stuff. Today, I kind of want to end that series. I want to bring it all to an end by talking about the part that you play in developing yourself. Yes, it's true that God does indeed equip you and I and empower you and I to do the things he's called us to do. But actually, we still have a role to play in all of that. At the end of the day, your discipleship is your responsibility. That's why when we as Christians hurt one another, when we let one another down, we're called to forgive one another. 
Now, sometimes we get hurt to the extent we end up leaving a church and all that kind of complicated stuff happens. But in the end, we're all still always called to somehow find a way to fix it. Somehow bring ourselves to the Lord and ask him to fix us and somehow make reconciliation of some sort happen so that we can move on in our discipleship journey, so that we can continue to be effective kingdom advances in this life. And that responsibility doesn't lie on anybody else. So your discipleship isn't my responsibility. My responsibility is to help to empower you to grow as a disciple. But your discipleship is your responsibility, and my discipleship is my responsibility. And so too is the responsibility to develop the giftings God has given me. So I'm the pastor of this church. What does that mean? Do I sit around and just drink lattes all week? I know you think I do, but I don't. Okay? You know, I go to conferences. I listen to other pastors preach their sermons and feel challenged by them. I try and equip myself. I've gone to Bible college. I have a big fancy degree. Does that mean I don't read any more books? Well, I wish it did, but it doesn't. And so I read books occasionally. Sometimes I go and listen to other theologians talking about subjects that I haven't really thought about. Why? So I can develop myself and grow myself intellectually. But then I also show up at conferences and do stuff and step out in faith in things that make me feel uncomfortable so that I'll grow spiritually. My growth, my discipleship, my gifting is my responsibility. God invites me to seek to grow. And as I do that, he honors me by empowering me. And there are John Wimber or a lot of people in the vineyard say this, you know, you grow as you go. Where's the meat? When people talk about they want to receive meat from, from church, where's the meat? The meat is on the street. You know, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but it doesn't do anything until you take that knowledge and you apply it to something. You apply it to maybe your grumpy neighbor. Or your kids. Apply it to your kids, you know, because they're tough. And so today I really want to focus on one of the main things that we can do to really grow in our callings and our giftings and talk about just the whole issue of how we attach ourselves to other people and ways to think in order to help develop ourselves. And so before I get into that and before I get into our, our verse, uh, let's just pray. And today I want to kind of mention uh, Coastal Vineyard Church down in Shalott, which is just up the road from Myrtle Beach on the, on the other side of the border in North Carolina. Our friends in Shalott today are not meeting in their building because they had to give their building to the city council or the city. Um, they rent a building. They don't have their own place. And so they're meeting in a tent today. That's what they're doing as a church. They've hired a big, massive tent that they have to set up and set down every Sunday. So you think, our setup's bad. Just imagine building a tent. Right, so, um, but they're doing it. So let's pray for them. Lucas is their pastor. Father, we just pray for Lucas and his church this morning as they meet under the tent. We pray that uh, the weather's nice. We pray that you keep things going well for them. But we pray especially for your presence. Lord, would you be present with them? Uh, tangible so that people can really sense you this morning. And just as they do church in a very different way, Lord, I just pray that um, even though it's a lot more hard work for them, I pray that you would use this to really build their community, to connect their people together so that they begin to have, have that, that fellowship that you desire so richly for us to have. And this morning I pray for our message. I pray that you would open our hearts to anything new that you want to say to us today and that you would guide my words, and that anything not of your Lord would be forgotten. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 4. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind me and you can follow along that way. And I'll be reading from verse 8. So the verse is um, starting off, uh, Peter and John uh, have been dragged before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulers of the day, and are being told, being asked to give an account of, of some preaching that they've been doing and some healing that they've been doing and some controversial things that they've been saying that uh, the Sanhedrin have found offensive. And so as they've been questioning them, we get to this point where Peter has a response, and it goes like this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The key phrase in that reading today that I really want to focus on in this sermon today was that they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, they'd been behaving a little bit like Jesus. Uh, They were exhibiting the same kind of boldness and general attitude that Jesus had. And they were doing the stuff that he did. They had caught something from Jesus. So much so that when, when people saw Peter and John doing the work of the kingdom and speaking about the kingdom, they were astonished and impressed because they didn't expect to see something like this from common fishermen. And so we have a saying in the vineyard about the values that we try to exhibit as a church, about the way we do ministry, and even just how we try and develop leaders in general. And it's this, that these things are more caught than taught. Things are more caught than taught. You see, in modern Western Christianity, both here and in in Europe, we are very good at teaching, and we're very good at information transfer on everything to do with the Bible, the Gospel, Old Testament. Um, We just... We, we have all the quality teaching and all the quality resources that our hearts could cry out for in the West. Just go down to the local Christian bookstore today. You can find books on anything to do with spiritual growth or knowledge or growing in your understanding of Hosea in the Old Testament. You can get commentaries. You can, get, you can go teach yourself Greek and Hebrew if you want. We have access to all those wonderful resources as followers of Jesus. And has it made us more effective disciples? No, no, it hasn't. We are as effective or probably less effective than our African brothers and sisters in the interiors of Africa where they have no resources, yet they're still doing things that we aren't doing. Why is that? Because we have the resources. The reason why is because information gathering only goes so far in developing you as a disciple. Knowing isn't just, just isn't good enough. There comes a time 
in your formation as a disciple that you need to do the knowledge. You need to do the stuff that you're learning. And ironically, one of the best ways to learn how to launch into doing whatever thing you feel God's called you to do is to be an apprentice. It's to learn the ropes and to serve under someone who is actually doing that same thing that you want to learn how to do. And so we as followers of Jesus have to be mindful to not let our amassed knowledge deceive us into thinking that we're equipped. Because equipped is more than knowledge. So a silly example, uh, my, one of my pre-careers to being a pastor is I used to be a thing called a quantity surveyor in the United Kingdom. It's somebody who does stuff in the construction industry. It's kind of an estimator and a project manager combined and, you know, kind of the accountant of the building process. Real fun, exciting stuff, right? And so that was one of the jobs I had to do. But, you know, there were two ways to get into that career. One was to go straight to college, do your four-year degree, and then go find a job. And the other was to get an apprenticeship. And in the apprenticeship, you worked three and a half days a week and you went to college one and a half days a week and that took five years to get the degree. Now, the funny thing is, is that it was a lot cheaper to do the apprenticeship way, right? Because the, the company paid for your education. Awesome. And so I went to college, learned all the stuff. And then the other three and a half days a week, I actually did it under the supervision of other quantity surveyors. They instructed me how to do the job and kind of, you know, fixed me and adjusted me as I went along in my mistakes. And what we found what was really interesting is that as I got to my third year, I wasn't even a graduate yet, hadn't got my degree, but what would happen is graduates would come into the company who had graduated from college, who had the degree, who had more, technically speaking, had more knowledge than I was supposed to have. They would come and start the job, and they would be put in underneath me and had to learn the ropes from me because I was better equipped at doing the job than they were, even though they had amassed the knowledge and the degree. The fact of the matter is, I was learning from those who were doing and was thus able to do more than apparently my knowledge suggested I could do. And so apprenticeship set me, better up, set, set me up better for the career than what just going straight to college did, although college, going to college full-time was more fun, no doubt, you know, because I had to go to college in a suit and everybody would look at me like as a weirdo. But... So apprenticeship sometimes really helps you to get, get to grips with what you're doing. And it's just a little bit of a silly example. Now, growing in your gifting and in your ministry, whatever it is God's asked you to do as a follower of Jesus, is kind of the same. You can get all the information and try and learn, go out and do it yourself, but it's pretty challenging. And it can, can be hard, and you make a lot of mistakes along the way as you are going along that. But if you're able to do it underneath someone else who's doing it already and who's doing it well, that really helps you take, take you to the next level because you're able to learn from their mistakes. And they're able to adjust your mistakes before you make really, really big ones. And so it helps you to really get to that place in ministry um, more effectively, not necessarily quicker, because I still took longer to get to that certain you know, income uh, level that the graduates were getting when they came to company. But when I got there, I was better equipped. And, you know, it's the same in ministry. Like, for instance, you know, before I came to be the lead pastor here at the, the Greenville Vineyard, I was an assistant pastor at the, the Glasgow Vineyard in Scotland. And the thing about that was that that really helped to equip me to do the job that I came to do here. 
As I sat in underneath Jamie's ministry, that's the name of the senior pastor there, I sat in under him for four years and I was a volunteer leader in the church for three years before that. So seven years in all, I was just underneath him and learning from him in all the things he did. And so I made a lot of mistakes as I went along the way, but he was able to make those mistakes less impactful because he was overseeing me as I did the job along the way. And then he taught me certain things. Like, for instance, he taught me how to identify difficult people. You know, and you know, one, one thing that's really rough for guys coming out of seminary and going straight into ministry is they don't know how to deal with difficult people or they don't know how to identify people who aren't ready for leadership. You know, and so they put people into leadership that aren't ready and just blows the whole church up. And it's not because they're bad pastors. It's because they haven't learned. And so what would happen in our, my old church is somebody would come to church and be like, oh, Jamie, this person's a great, great person for leadership. I really wanna, I, I want to, I want to stick them into this zone and really invest in them, get them ready for this. And he goes, let's just wait a little. I was like, what do you mean? Let's just wait till they get offended and see what they do then. I was like, well, what do you mean? Just, just wait. Because how they came is probably how they'll go unless they're, they're mature. And I was like, but they're awesome. 16 months goes by, that person got offended by something. It was just happened to be a real red button for them. Bush, bash, bosh, they were gone, left the church within three weeks. Because they, they, they just had this one little weakness that he saw. Now, we all have weaknesses, right? And as disciples, it's our responsibility to know what our weakness is. So what is your button? What's the one thing that I would do that would get you really upset? Let's let you think about it for a minute. Now, if I press that button, because I'm going to press the button, Right. You need to know, I'm going to press your button. Your button might be politics. Your button might be some sort of theology. Uh, I don't know what it is. But if you know me long enough, I might accidentally press your button. I want to apologize right now for pressing your button. Okay, but what are you going to do when I press your button? You know? And your character, your level of character is reflected by how your response to your button being pressed will be. You know, And so, you know... Jamie taught me that why well, I have to identify people's buttons as, as early as I can so that I know when to press them, if I'm going to press them on purpose, you know, because sometimes you have to. Anyway, but let's not get into that. What was I talking about? Where am I? Tithing. We were talking about tithing, the good effectiveness of tithing and how it's good for you, right? Why are you laughing? Anyway, so learning from somebody else is really beneficial. It really helps to set you up. Um, to, to grow well in it because you've got somebody who's, who, who's a little bit wiser than you, who's advanced a little bit through life, who's made more mistakes than you have, you know, because you can learn from other people's mistakes. This is my favorite lesson in life, learning from other people's mistakes, you know, so that I don't have to make them because I don't enjoy making mistakes. They're a, they're a little bit rough on the side. So applying this question to you, you know, uh, and the things that you want to grow in, maybe things you want to serve in, ministries you want to do, or just even ways you want to grow as a follower of Jesus in your own character. Is there someone you see around you who has kind of grown beyond you a little bit? Someone who's got that character, someone who's doing that particularly that particular ministry really well, someone who's doing the stuff Jesus did. You can just see Jesus in them and the way they treat other people, and you, you want to be more like that. Do you have someone around that you can see that? If so, maybe you should connect with them. Ask them to show you how to do this stuff. Learn from them. Come in under them. Say, hey, listen, I want to submit to your instruction in my life. I want, I want to give you permission to ask me difficult questions. You know, 
Um, when we were realizing it was time for us to step out from being assistant pastors to either plant a church or help relaunch a church, we weren't sure which was which, which one we should do. Uh, Michael Gatlin, who oversees church planting here in the Vineyard in the USA, just happened to be on vacation in Scotland because he was friendly with my old senior pastor. They were doing a biking holiday or something. And so I asked Michael if we could meet. So he came around to our house, and we sat down, had a conversation, three-hour conversation, and he just asked us question after question. Now, the thing about Michael is I really rubbed Michael up the wrong way the first time I ever met him, right? Because I was a little bit excitable back in the day, right? And Michael's a full-on introvert, right? And we were over here on a ministry trip, and I was like, first time in the States, and I was given some spending money. I had a couple of Benjamins that I was supposed to be generous with, and I just went a little bit mental, okay? Because I do that sometimes. That rubbed Michael up the wrong way because, you know, that would do to any introvert. Anyway, so Michael came over. And so we're sitting there and we're talking about back and forth. And he's asked me, diff- me and Rachel really difficult questions about our gifting, our setting, how we would do things. And, uh, and so we invited him in that meeting to criticize us because he'd done this thing long enough to be able to spot weaknesses in people. And I needed to know my weaknesses. And this is a, a difficult question to ask. When you submit to somebody, you have to give them permission to expose your weaknesses. And so don't ask them to it unless you're ready because that might be your button, by the way. You might not want to know that you're weak. And so I just said to Michael in that meeting, I says, Michael, what is it about me that will be difficult to pass to people? What is it about me in my, in my character, my demeanor with people that, that's going to not serve me well in leading a church? And he looked at me and he went, wow. Now that's is a good question. Are you ready for the answer? And I was ready for the answer. I don't want to hear the answer. But I was ready for the answer. So I asked, and he gave me an answer. It was a very uncomfortable answer. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's not your business. <laughs> I don't do that thing anymore, so you don't have to worry about it. Anyway, so I just I, I submitted to him because I needed to learn from him because even though we were very different characters and I would never do things the way he does things, we're completely opposite in personality. I understood that in order to develop myself to be the best I can be for this group of people, I needed to, I needed to know some answers to some very difficult questions. And I needed to learn a lesson the easy way rather than the hard way. And so that's why we submit to other people and other Christians who we know are mature, who know, we know they've walked this thing out for 20 years. And they're still walking it out well. They still love Jesus. They're still forgiving. They still don't take offense easily. We're like, wow, how how do you get to that and still be like old, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we asked them how to do this stuff. And for all their faults, this was one thing that the disciples were actually very good at, weren't they? They would make lots of mistakes, but they would still turn around and say, Jesus, show us how to do this thing. Jesus, teach us. Jesus, lead us. And Jesus would do that. Not only would he, did he teach them how to pray, but he brought them along as he healed the sick and, and, and he encouraged them to take risks. You go out and do it. And so they took risks and tried to do the stuff that Jesus did. And, and, and sometimes they were incredibly successful. And sometimes they failed epically, right? Because the disciples were really good at epic failure, right? That's what I like about the disciples. It gives me hope for myself. You know, Peter walking on water is a prime example. There they are in the boat. They're all freaking out because it's a bit rough in the weather. And then they see a dude walking on the water, which doesn't sit well for you if you're a little bit superstitious. I think a ghost has come to get them. Jesus says, chill. He didn't actually say chill. He said something like that. He says, dudes, it's okay. It's me. I'm on the water. And Peter, 
in a moment of clarity and like really great discipleship goes, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out in the water. Now, I wouldn't have said that, and neither would you have all. Okay, maybe one of you would have, right? Because there was a whole bunch of disciples in that boat, and only one of them said, hey, tell me. And Jesus says, come on out then. And he got out the boat, right? And we give Peter a hard time, but Peter got out the boat. Everybody else was like this, looking over the room. Is it really Jesus? Oh, my goodness, Peter's getting out the boat. We're all going to die, right? Something like that. That's how people normally respond, right? And so anyway, Peter gets out the boat, and Peter walk, Peter's the second guy to walk on water. The first non-God person to ever walk on water was Peter, right? Epic success. He's like, look at him go. His buddies must have been in the boat going, Peter's walking on water. This is amazing. He is like the best of us. And as Peter's out in the water, he probably for a brief moment like, look at me. I am on the water. This is amazing. And then we all know what happened next. He went, oh, oh no, I'm on the water. The water's looking, water looks even more rough out here than did in the boat. Next thing you know, he's in the drink, right? And he's having to be rescued by Jesus, the lifesaver. Fantastic. You know, I wonder if he grabbed him up by his hair. I kind of hope. Does anybody else ever think about these things? Jesus reached down and grabbed him. It's so elegant. So elegant. I'm like, what did he grab? Because he was underwater. I mean, was it his beard? Did he grab him by his face? I mean, I want to see that. And was he coughing and splashing? Did he breathe water in? I mean, how deep down did Jesus have to reach into the water to grab him? I mean, was it messy? Was he flapping his arms like people who are drowning normally do? I mean, this is what I want to know because it makes the Bible more exciting. And so there he is. He drags him out of the water. And, it's, and now forevermore for the past 2,000 years, we've celebrated Peter's epic failure. Right? Haven't we? Oh, look at Peter. What a wally. Right? There he is right next to Jesus, and he still falls into the water. Well, if I was there, I would have been doing the hop, skip, and jump on the water. No, you wouldn't have, right? Maybe if it was your backyard swimming pool, but not out in the Galilean Sea. But he learned, and that's the good thing about Peter. He took these risks. He's like, okay, Jesus, if you say I can do it, I'll do it. And out he goes. And then he would learn that, you know, there's some caveats to doing the way things Jesus did the way he did. You need to have some faith as you go along. And, you know, he struggled a little bit with that kind of stuff. And this is where a lot of Christians really struggle, is learning from others, is learning to submit and learning to give. Oh, look, I've jumped two pages away. I need to start talking about tithing again. Right. So Jesus taught them how to pray and do all that stuff. And so when you find someone doing the stuff you want to do, tag along. Try and learn from them. Uh, be willing to take risks. Be willing to fail. You know, that's one, isn't that one of the main reasons we, like, invite you to come along with us to conferences and stuff like that at churches? So we can go to these places and meet other people who are doing things that we're really interested in doing. So we can catch it and learn how to do it. That's why Sarah Burke and Will are going to Colorado. Right? And so they can hang out with other youth pastors and, and youth leaders who have done what they're doing right now and discipled young people and dealt with all the difficulties that come with that and gone on to the other level. So they can catch it, catch a vision for youth and learn from them so that they can come home and do some stuff and have learned from other people's mistakes. Really, really important relationship building. And so as you develop and grow and as you do that and you submit to somebody and, and you begin to grow and get better and better at work, what they're doing so that you become good at it. There's uh, 
one more thing that you need to do to really go to the next level in your discipleship. And that is to be ready to give away everything that you've gotten. To be ready to give it all away. You know, because in kingdom economy, the receiver must become the giver. The receiver must become the giver. And this is where I get back to the thing I just said a minute ago. This is where a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of Christians really struggle. You see, and the reason why we struggle is because once people find their gifting, once, once Christians find that one little thing that they're really good at, that they, that, that they can contribute to whatever's going on to, and they step into it, and they start doing it, and it's going well, we begin to get a lot of significance from it. You know, so you might be a worship leader, and you're serving worship, and we start to get significance. It makes us feel good because we're doing something, right? It makes us feel important. makes us feel like we're contributing to the kingdom. It makes us feel like we're worth something. And so a lot of Christians do what they do in churches to, so that they would feel like they're worth something, so that they feel like they're significant. And that doesn't sound so bad on the face of it, but actually it's a really bad thing. Because as a result of that, they begin to hold on to those ministries and hold on to the things they're doing so tightly that they don't let anybody else grow in them and they don't let anybody else come and do them. You know, so we all know the famous story of the Sunday school director, at, you know, first, second, third Presbyterian at, you know, whatever village it is down the road. She's been doing it for 60 years and she's not managed to get anybody else to help her because she doesn't let anybody else do anything because this is her baby, you know, and likewise with lots of other things and lots of other people do. And so they don't allow other people to develop or grow in them for fear that somebody else better might come along and take their job, and then they'll be useless again. This is, why, this is how a lot of people do ministry. They do ministry to make themselves feel significant, feel like they're worth something, and then when they start to do it, they don't want to share it with anybody because they, they're getting all their significance and worth from what they're doing, be it Sunday school teaching or, or, or worship leading or whatever it is. And that's a problem because that's a worldly mentality. That's a worldly way of thinking. It's opposite to kingdom thinking. Because at the end of the day, as a kingdom person, as a follower of Jesus, your significance and your worth should come from your identity in Jesus, your relationship with Jesus. This means that you know who you are to God, to Jesus. You know that you are loved and you're significant just because you're in relationship with him. Nothing you do makes you significant or worth something. You are worth something because Jesus gives you that worth. You're worth something because Jesus died and rose from the dead from you. You're significant because God loves you and God wants you to be with him for eternity. You therefore do stuff in response to that worth, in response to that significance. You don't do it, uh, you do it out of love for God, not to impress him. Right? Not to make God like you. And that's why a lot of people serve God, because they want to impress God. They want to make God like them, so that they feel like, you know, because they're a little bit unsure if God likes them. And so your ministry, the thing that you do, the way that you serve, is just an expression of that worth and that significance. Your ministry, your serving, is an act of worship. And so you grow in your act of worship. You develop that. You don't do that ministry to make yourself feel good about you. And that's the problem we have in the church. A lot of people are doing and serving to make themselves feel good about themselves. They lead worship because they want to feel good about themselves. They stack chairs up because they want to feel good about themselves. 
And when other people take those jobs away from them, they get really upset because they don't feel worthy anymore. They don't feel significant anymore. And that attitude leads to idolatry because we start to worship the stuff we do rather than the God that we're doing it for. And that's why we have to get our significance and worth from our relationship with Jesus and let what we do for Jesus just be an act of worship. Because when it's just an act of worship, we're willing to share it. We're willing to teach other people to do the exact same thing because we're not intimidated by them because they're not going to take our significance away. Does that make sense? And so therefore, kingdom thinking is the opposite of worldly thinking. In kingdom thinking, we teach other people to do the same thing that we're doing if they want to learn it. In fact, we do our best to teach them to be better than what we are at. We empower them to worship, in other words. And as we do so, as you equip other people and empower other people and release other people, God will make room for you and bring more opportunity to your door to help you to worship him in a new way. Kingdom thinking is this, give it away and God will give it back to you. In fact, he will outgive you at every turn. That's the way God operates. Now, it might look different. You might, go into the, you might have to go into the shadows for a little while and watch somebody else flourish and grow and, and go, oh, wow, I used to do that. But actually, you turn and go, wow, look what I contributed to. Somebody's doing amazing because I was willing to share and give it away. And as you begin to grow in that attitude, God will find places for you because there's lots for God for you to do. God will make room for you. We shouldn't be afraid of that. Because it is in the giving that you are set free from you. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It makes a lot of sense to me. It is in the willingness to lift others up at your expense that God lifts you up to new places. Because most of us are in bondage to ourselves. We're in bondage to trying to make ourselves feel special or significant. But as we begin to learn to give away everything God's given to us, we begin to make ourselves second. We make it all about God. And we're released from ourselves. We're released from trying to make ourselves happy all the time, make ourselves significant, make ourselves better than other people, which is the idolatry that our culture is trapped in. You know, it is in the honoring and lifting up of others that God will honor and lift you up. And I've probably said that in every sermon over the past six weeks, and I know you're probably getting bored of it. But I've said it a number of times over the past weeks because I want you to grasp that, especially in the self-serving and self-righteous culture that we live in. We all know that our culture is self-serving and self-righteous. Everybody's about what they can get for them. How much, you know? But as kingdom people, we want to honor other people. We want to equip other people. We want to lift other people up. Because as we do that, we honor God. And when we do that, we open ourselves up to God honoring us and him lifting us up and taking us to those new places that he has for us. And so are you giving what you have away? Are you honoring and lifting other people up? Are you, or are you holding on to things really tightly to make yourself feel better about you? And if so... Maybe it's time to stop prying your fingers loose on that thing and start to be willing to find your significance worth in the fact that God just loves you and he will always give you something to do because he likes to share his ministry because he gives it all away all the time. As I choose today to remember or even accept for the first time that because we're all one in Christ, God has a unique thing for each person to do, especially through you. Choose to try and figure out what that thing might be. Maybe you're just an encourager. Maybe you're a giver. Maybe whatever it is, figure out what, what has God laid on your heart to do and how can you start to head towards that. 
And as you go, try and find somebody who's pressing into the same thing and doing it well so that you can learn from them. And hopefully they'll be a giver and they'll give it away to you and teach you how to do it. And if you begin to get along that level and you're someone that's doing something well and some upstart comes along and wants to learn from you and wants to learn how to do what you do and do it better, don't be intimidated. Teach them. Give everything away. And uh, see what God does with that. And as you do all those things, you're beginning to contribute to your own discipleship. You're beginning to contribute to your own gifting. And you're beginning to open yourself up to God teaching you new things and empowering you even more and equipping you more and using you to advance his kingdom both in his church and out with his church in the community that you live in. I went on for like four minutes extra, sorry. So there we go. Kiara, do you want to come back on up? And if you're able to, I'd just like to invite you to stand with me. Uh, Just here at the Vineyard, we just end our service with what we call a, a thing called ministry time. And that's just where we just, uh, we're going to close in a song in a minute. And uh, it's just our time where you're invited to just respond to God. Maybe what I said today has meant something to you and you feel like you need to speak to the Lord about that and just take time to make some commitments with Him, uh, pray for forgiveness about something, whatever it is that, that's relevant to you. And this is your opportunity to do that. So you can sing the song where you can sit and just pray. Um, as well as that, we also just make opportunity for people to receive prayer. Here at the Vineyard, we believe that God wants to meet you where you are. So if you're sick in your, build it, your body and you want some healing, come on down. We'll, we've got some, some folk down here who can pray for you for healing. Or even if there's something else that I've not spoken about at all today that's bothering you and you, you want someone to stand with you and pray with you about that and, and draw near to you, just uh, make, make use of the, the prayer rug at the front of the room here on my right and, and let someone minister to you today. But I'm just going to pray right now and in, invite God to be present by His Holy Spirit and just let this be a moment where you, you bring your burdens to the Lord, whatever it is that's bothering you. Um, invite Him to speak into it right now.